I believe we're in, I might be a little bit hyperbolic, but the existential struggle <laughs> for, yeah, for relevance yeah. <laughs> for accounting. But and, and primarily I look at it from can the rules keep pace with the changing dynamics of, of things that are being offered and, and what decision makers find important. That is difficult, particularly on the confines of traditional double entry, journal entry, yeah. right? Yep. And so I think from that perspective, we are already seeing a push of a lot more involvement of our data analytics team and a lot more reliance on them to produce that real-time reporting. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers? Oh, it's so much more than that. Modernization by streamlining the process. So let's get right down to business. And modern problems require modern solutions. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. Consider it done. This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with Dave Storr, controller at Construct Connect. Now here's your host, M. Daigle, passionate revenue accountant, RevRec automation expert, and general manager of Zora Revenue. Hey, Dave, thanks for joining me today. Oh, great to be here, Em. So I know one of the things we like to do here to start with is to just get our listeners a little bit more about yourself on a personal level. We're going to start the episode with our off the ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. So hoping you can share with us something that you like to do for fun that has absolutely nothing to do with accounting. I would say we're, we're recording this during the Halloween season. I love mm -hmm. Halloween. And my family and I just took a plunge in purchasing a 12-foot skeleton. So we, we've assembled it. We've set it up. But I'm, I'm trying not to fall off the cliff. I'm trying to still remain classy. <laughs> so we put it in the side yard and, and we haven't added smoke machines or any kind of inflatables. So trying to get a balance, but I do love Halloween. <laughs> I love that. Love that you're also trying to keep it classy. I think you should go full on with like the smoke machine and the inflatables and everything. So one of the questions that I do ask every guest, it started out just to kind of like see if it was a great opener, but I love to hear everybody's responses. So curious how you refer to the holistic revenue process. Is it order to revenue, a quote to cash? Like how do you refer to it or speak about that holistic process? Sure. Well, Em, uh, as a longtime listener to your podcast, I have seen some of the other answers and I've got it, I, hopefully a new one. I'm going to say quote to renewal. Ooh. And the idea being that, yes, you're receiving cash on that first payment. And that's great. But you know, where my focus and our team's focus has been recently is how well are you set up at getting the next contract done, the next invoice, the next renewal? and really thinking about it as a customer lifetime value proposition. I love that. And, you know, it's interesting. We've been talking about just on a side note, my, myself personally at Zora, we've been talking about this flywheel and how that customer life cycle really is far more cyclical, right? Like it used to feel very linear, but now it is more cyclical and it's an ongoing relationship. So I love the idea of working renewal into that. It also adds some value back into... We've, we've not only done the initial sale, but we're trying to service the customer and do right by them and continue to deliver value. 
Yeah, exactly. So let's jump into your business and what you're doing now. Tell us a little bit about Construct Connect. What's the business model, size and stage of the company? And like, what are you kind of working on now that has you interested? Sure. So I, I would say we are a mid-sized software as a service company offering services in the pre-construction space. So we are providing content. So think about bids and plans and specs and also estimation tools to help trade contractors win the right bids. For a lot of these customers, it, it's not just about finding the right bids, but getting and, and, and winning the correct ones. So it's a multi-sided network that also serves general contractors and even building product manufacturers. Building product manufacturers love to see you know, where, is their, where are their products getting scope? Who's utilizing them? What are the contacts there? So it really is a multi-sided network. We provide the content that, that helps them, makes it easier for them to, to win those bids. We're also a well-established, profitable operating unit within an SEC registrant, Roper Technologies. And currently, we're one of the things we're working on, and it gets back to the first question a bit, is we're exploring price realization on our renewal quotes. And as we migrate customers from legacy products to sort of one unified platform that provides sort of the best content out there, our company really took off as a roll-up of eight different businesses. And so bringing those together and, and, and <laughs> providing the value for the customers, what it's really been, all it's been about. Wow. And so you are the controller, right? How do you and your team kind of play into all of that? What is the role that you guys are playing right now? Sure. So our role, you know, I, I see it, there's the traditional accounting. So in terms of the things we cover, obviously we talked about quote to renewal, but we also do purchase to pay, hire to retire, and then some various other processes. So one of the big roles that, that we're playing, particularly on this quote to renewal, is owning and controlling the product catalog and helping our go-to-market teams sort of realize their vision, but in a way that can scale. So interesting. And so one of the things, and because you've listened to the podcast, which I love, by the way, you probably have heard this concept that keeps coming up about how finance teams work cross-functionally with some of the other teams. And so curious, sort of like how you and your team, how you guys work with some of those other cross-functional teams and maybe some of the unique challenges that you are coming across and, and how you're solving for those. So I think one of the ways we have set up in our processes and policies, it really checkpoints that facilitate a lot of good conversation and discussion. For example, as we're going to market or we're thinking about pricing, we put some sort of toll gates in place where we're the ones controlling the product catalog and, and how that's configured, what our salespeople are allowed to sell and the confines of that. But we're working with the rest of the business and we sort of have a regular rhythm to discuss what are you all thinking? And this includes not just the sales function, but also the product function and our development. So we do provide these kind of cross-functional toll gates that also serve as a policy role. So we don't have people sort of going off on their own. 
And so those are really our best opportunities to, to kind of get the entire business together outside of normal planning and budgeting and, and function. Yeah. And I love the idea of you're setting the policies from a, from a finance perspective that you need to do, right? But doing it being informed by some of those cross-functional teams. I'd be curious if you find that, you know, having that relationship and getting that input, if that makes it easier to enforce some of those policies. It does. And, and I would tell you that when we do have the conversations, I do find that what tends to work well for accounting also tends to work well commercially. And I can have and engage some of these conversations where I'm actually asking, commercial questions, but I'm backed up by the fact that, well, actually this works great for scale. This works great for me. And especially when we talk about the way our systems are structured, these systems are, are designed to work somewhat seamlessly and more easily if you've got a, a good, repeatable go-to-market strategy. And so I've found that I rarely have to lean into the well, this has to work for accounting or think about internal controls or otherwise. We're able to keep that in the background while having the good commercial negotiations. In the Let's jump to the general ledger. I heard you mention like procure to pay, hire to retire. How do you structure your teams and like, how do you think about that covering all of those different areas? Yeah. So we've really organized and continue to be organized by process. That was initially a bit of a struggle. As I mentioned, one of the challenges we had was you coming together as eight businesses. You had eight different functions and it really did. I think the, the initial thinking is, well, you know, we've got our way of doing it and we've got, you know, this and, and organizing by product line which some people just have to do. Mm -hmm. We got lucky, I think, that our goal was to pull all this together. We had a very strong vision set out by, you know, really from our CEO down regarding one place and, and one set of processes. We knew that's what was going to deliver the value to the customer. Mm -hmm. And so being able to reiterate that and use that to say, regardless of geography, regardless of product line, we're going to form around these processes and then try to, to drive kind of best and brightest of those processes so we can get to one unified approach across our team. I love that. And then I'm also curious as a follow-up to that, how you and your team work with the accounting and finance teams at Roper or, you know, the mothership. Are there any specific challenges that you've run into or things you've been working on and curious how you've worked around those as those, all of those businesses have come together? I think we have a really good relationship. You know, Roper is similar to, to other high level parent type relationships where very hands-off. We have a, a lot of freedom of movement operationally. The governance level, it, it feels more like it's a, it's a nice thing to fall back on to have, but it's not overly pushy. And so the relationship there is, is, is great. They do have a lot of different types of business businesses, but they have been getting more and more into software as a, as a service. That's something is our bread and butter. And so Part of what they're looking to do is, is right now is enhance their disclosures around backlog, around annual recognized revenue mm -hmm. and ARR. 
And so we're assisting with that. And so trying to work through from our own side, how to report on the changes in ARR and how that then in turn can assist with Roper being able to improve their disclosures to get more information out there to their investors. I know you were on another podcast where you mentioned that you guys close the books in three days, which I know would probably floor some folks. I imagine it maybe wasn't always that way (laughs) from day one, but wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about that. I will first admit that we have the benefit of being a subsidiary of an SEC reporter. So in terms of the 10Ks, 10Qs, we get some relief on that. We're still providing some of the data that goes into it, but generally our close is ending when we're providing information into the consolidation. But we have been able to reduce our our close time dramatically. As I mentioned, thinking about it from an overall process as opposed to different business lines paid off quite a bit, but really it's been a philosophy of mine for quite some time is, is thinking about it as a symphony. And thinking about it as you're orchestrating a lot of these instruments to work in concert in the right times. And there's a lot of inherent sort of handoffs and things that occur. For me, the first step was sort of visualizing the whole close. And and I remember one night, very large whiteboard and sketching everything out that I, (laughs) I, as looks, as we look through it and Then it was about cutting and distributing to minimize the downtime. You know, we found ourselves that we had sort of one person owning a full process. And so they would have moments where they were not able to work on things. And so minimizing that, that involved some more handoffs, which then involves more trust between the people working very closely together and keeping each other updated. The other thing we did is I kind of set a mantra of let's, value one hour of close time for one and a half hours outside of close. And Mm -hmm. that has really helped us think about what really needs to happen during that close cycle, what can be pulled out of it, what can be prepared in advance. And what we also found is from a process standpoint, moving to things like reconciling the bank on a daily basis, they're just good control procedures as well. You're not building things up every, after every close, we gather everybody in a room, for a brief meeting and we would agree on three actions to get better next time. Not Hmm. 15, not one, three things. And then we would do those and then we'd get back and we'd do another. And so by doing that sort of setting an aggressive target and then you're thinking through it is just chipped away at it over time. There's something to be said for when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. So I love that you, you pick three and you stuck to three because it makes it much more doable. And then People continue to want to do that rather than first time if you come out of the gate with nine things you got to do better and you only reach like one or two because you're trying to do everything. It kind of falls flat. People don't feel as excited to make those improvements the next time. That's right. It's really great to hear that you've done that. I also love the symphony, the orchestration of how you think about all the things that need to get done. Yes, that that definitely helps. And, And as a visual person, I think for me, getting it out there and seeing all the different steps and being able to organize them and rearrange them in a way that works best is, is at least how I'm able to, to, to do it. Curious if we can shift a little bit to what kind of trends or changes are you seeing within the business? I'll give you a couple of items. The first one is 
We've got one set of our products that's been traditionally sold as a perpetual license. Mm-hmm. And really starting this year as a glide path to SaaS, we've started selling them on a term basis. Mm-hmm. And you know, what that results in is from a revenue recognition standpoint, we're still recognizing upon delivery. But for our management reporting, we want to show this as a recurring revenue opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of probably many bridge items that we have between our external reporting and our management reporting. And when we first started with this, it's okay, let's keep it on a spreadsheet and see how it goes. But we've been able to get to an off-ramp where we can build this natively within our system so that we're able to deliver the things that we need to externally without any, any bumps in the road, but working very closely with our data teams to sort of build logic that allows us to do both. It's really interesting stuff, especially because RevRec is so close to my heart. Sometimes I hear about these changes or shifts or transitions. And the first thing I think of is, oh gosh, how are they going to do that from a RevRec perspective? But <laughs> I like sort of that that bridge, as you call it, starting with management reporting first, because it doesn't necessarily change your, your RevRec today from a term perspective for external reporting, but internally kind of thinking about what that means and what kind of visibility that gives you. On your LinkedIn profile, I see that you mentioned that you led an organization from failing to passing grade on internal audit inclusive of IT security. Would love if you could tell us a little bit more about how you work with internal audit, but especially in the areas that maybe aren't related directly to accounting. And how did you even get into that? I think as with most things, it's it's a bit out of necessity. As the internal audit gets conducted and moves up the line, as you can imagine, to an audit committee or otherwise, we really are getting or sort of one grade. And, and as accountants, we love green, yellow, red, or <laughs> ABC type, type grading. That one grade is inclusive of the IT security. And so I just found it incumbent as the kind of overall owner of that grade and, and really just that desire to get green. I remember we actually had a mantra, green in 19 was our, <laughs> our goal. We worked with our colleagues across the aisle on the IT side. And we just saw the benefit of having a sort of a well-rounded internal control environment. You know, I, I, as we were having these meetings and such, it's, well, it doesn't matter if the journal entry gets approved, if somebody can just go into the back end tables and change everything. And so really embracing that and, and its connection back to what you're trying to achieve really got us in the right mindset. What I found the way that for me was just, I was constantly Googling in terms, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? I would imagine that's even easier these days, you know, with AI tools. In fact, I I find myself using those quite a bit as I look to, let's say, pay invoices. Okay, what is this thing doing? Explain it to me like I'm five. And so, you know, it was really good educational. So it sounds overall like you're a big fan of, let's just say, accounting technology, right? thinking about things that you've done, could you share with us or talk about maybe one of the biggest accounting technology challenges that you've faced so far in your career and what that sort of led to? Sure. Yeah. So I'll tell the story of when I first came on board here at Construct Connect, one of our biggest challenges within Close was you getting to our revenue recognition. And it was Mm -hmm. Quite an effort. I remember in particularly, we were kind of close out the quarter in June 
of a year. So it was on July 4th, I recall working into the night. And that's when jokingly, I said to myself, my colleague, I want to declare my independence from being <laughs> here on spreadsheets. And a lot of it's waiting for, for refreshes and loads and, and that sort of thing. And so we really early on started to embrace some of the pretty basic and universal data transformation tools that are out there. For our purpose, it is using first good outputs from our, our system, but then using transformations like Power Query or otherwise really helped to shape the way that we were building that. And I think part of that was I got a really good lesson and, and learned a, what I would say almost a new skill set that I didn't have going in. I'd been doing this now for 23 years and coming out of school, I learned my debits and credits and I was fortunate enough to be on the first iteration of Sarbanes-Oxley. So I got a good understanding of new process risks and controls, but that was always, that was very early in my career. When I got here, I felt like that old dog, new tricks type of thing where I had to learn a new way to think. And the, and the way to think was around the data, how the data moves through the system, how we transform it, how we summarize it. And by thinking that new way, by learning that new way to think, that was the, the break point that gets us to where we can now do it in about 30 minutes. And I have to say, there is something data. So it's funny, ta accounting teams talking to cross-functional teams is a common theme here on, on the podcast, but data is also another area that always comes up. And I think you're so smart to sort of be open to learning what that is, because when you can understand how your data flows through the system, you know what the dependencies are. It's so much easier to start making some true progress in improving processes or, you know, kind of figuring out where you could even make some of those improvements. And when we go to help some of our customers, the ones who understand what their data flows look like and, and how how they work, it, it really helps to expedite a lot of the work that needs to be done. I'm curious how you think about technology overall and what advice you might give to accounting leaders and professionals, especially when stepping into a new role, how they might think about considering automation. I think for us, and, and I was very fortunate, my boss, the, the CFO, made a very big emphasis on skills development very early on and consistently. I recall we, we would have no mouse Fridays where we, you know, we would have to work without our, our, our mouse by our side. And, and we had a lot of Excel type style guide rules that, that you know, were, were sort of self-enforced as well as just continuous learning and really made it a habit even more so than some of the things that we wanted to do. So at first I was like, we need a new T&E system or we need this or that. And instead, by learning some of these basic skills, it reinforced sort of the data conversation we were just having. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, it gave us, it really empowered our team to be able to understand and, and make the transformations that we needed to, to do things like closing the books or otherwise. A lot of what accountants face is really extract, transform, load. And by getting really good at those skills and using some of the new, frankly, new tools and the new automation that has, has come through, that has been an area that's helped us out probably the most. I will relay one story. We had 
an innovation contest for our team. So this was across the team, including you know, our clerical staff or otherwise. They would form into to groups of two. And the idea was pick something that you are actually doing and we're going to judge it on three criteria. So the criteria would be is how close is it to being done? What is the level of impact? And also what's the presentation look like, right? Mm. And so when it came to the level of impact, we gave additional points if they were able to actually implement it. And I recall one moment that was great. We had two of our staff members on their own sought out uh, AI builder that would take remittance advices that we would receive and it would extract them from the email, put them into Excel spreadsheet, and then help us with matching our wire wire transfers that came in for that day. Wow. And we just all looked around and we're like, how did you all do this? And they said, well, you know, you, we had these certain skills, but then it kind of got us excited. We were coaching them along the way, but just this moment of, of awe. And I just remember all of us just being so proud. So it's really was about you empower the people, you give them the right tools, and they're able to do a lot with it. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. What do you think revenue accounting is then going to look like 10 years from now? Sure. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot. And I believe we're in I might be a little bit hyperbolic, but the existential struggle <laughs> for, yeah, for relevance yeah. <laughs> for accounting. And primarily, I look at it from can the rules keep pace with the, the, the changing dynamics of, of things that are being offered and, and what decision makers find important. And so things like the, what we're seeing in the speed to market that, we, that is needed, the ability to report the connecting from a lead all the way to that revenue entry. That is difficult, particularly on the confines of you know, traditional double entry journal, journal entry, yeah. right? Yep. And so I think from, from that perspective, we are already seeing a push of a lot more involvement of our data analytics team and a lot more reliance on them to produce that real-time reporting. And so we sort of see this as a, as a, as a crossroads for, for accounting for our, our team. But really, it's not all grim. And I would say that the things we talked about earlier in terms of being more strategic, of being involved cross-functionally, of thinking about, you know, the, the, the data that is available and how that comes through into your systems, that's really where I think we have a unique opportunity given our position, given our, our level of trust to really be and make an impact for the future as accountants. Okay, Dave, last question. What kind of things do you think we as accountants should be thinking more about or recommendations that you would make to accountants to really spend time thinking about and doing? Thought about this with, with, my, with my team recently as we, we kind of had a bit of a retreat and we're, we're really trying to think about what are some of the ways that we've been successful and some of the ways we can continue to be successful? And so particularly for revenue accountants, I, I think I, I kind of call it controlling your flanks. And what I mean by that is really thinking through the inputs that come through to the revenue accountants, not just about the, the ultimate journal entry and how you're getting there, but how you're thinking about you get to that point. And so I had five things that we've 
done and been working on that I think have been pretty helpful. So our first was we've created what we call order to cash or quote to renewal, if we're using that term, <laughs> persona. So we took the five to seven most highest used situations and we've just illustrated, we picked a real transaction and we said, how does it work through the system? And, and that includes what are they buying and, and what does that delivery look like? And, and that even included things like listening to some of the sales calls and understanding how that product is, is coming to what systems are they touching? How does the quote come together? How does the sales order come together? What is, of course, what is the rev rec, but also how does that display with other metrics like ARR, bookings, deferred revenue? And so those types of the ways of thinking at it and picking real transactions and, and then presenting it in a way that's very easy to read has been a, a nice grounding force for us as we have any further conversations. In addition to that, thinking about the product catalog and controlling that, as we, we spoke about earlier, but really having a, a strong position or even ownership position in that and using it as a, a leverage point within the organization to get everybody together, but, but making sure that you've got and you're, you're, you're getting your deals towards that product catalog, that allows mm -hmm. you to scale. In addition to that, owning or at least being involved with any kind of bespoke contracts and also understanding what is the customer trying to get out of this has really allowed us to get into what I call is that 31 flavors type of thing where it's not you can do anything. It's you can do these certain things and we can achieve most of the, the customer's goals without necessarily having to make everything a one off or everything you need. The last thing I'll mention is thinking about that renewal. And so that's where we've been really focused recently is what type of uplift do you have? What does that renewal experience look like? And how do we make sure that we remain at scale on that second, that third and beyond contracts? So those are some of the things that I would recommend as you're thinking about controlling around the system, controlling around the, the processes and not just okay, how do I get my SSP and how do I get my journal entry? Yeah, it's awesome. You guys have done a wonderful job. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a true pleasure chatting with you and I really look forward to having you back again. And I am going to hunt you down for that picture of the 12-foot skeleton. And listeners, my DMs are always open to you. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at mdagle. Links are in the show notes and please stay in touch for more episodes and insights from other revenue and accounting leaders. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time.